Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. My name is Brian Jewell. I am your host, and man, I am so excited that you decided to spend some of your time with us. Got a great show for you today. Our feature conversation is with Scott Brodsky. Now, Scott is the president of Country Heritage Tours, and he's going to tell us all about how he and his family have built a thriving tour company based on a really interesting special interest niche. You won't want to miss it. Before we talk to Scott, though, we need to start with some travel news. Now, uh, sometimes uh, we talk to you about travel news you may have missed. Today, I want to hit on some travel news that has probably been front and center in your face, especially if you have done any kind of travel at all this summer. So uh, traveling this summer has been difficult. Flying has been especially difficult, and we have some numbers in to prove it. I'm going to read to you from a recent story in uh, Travel Weekly, a uh, tourism uh, travel agent trade publication. Uh, Here's what the story says. It says uh, for flights into within or out of the U.S., the cancellation rate this year through June 20th was 3 percent up from 2 percent for the calendar year 2019. Now, what that means is that in between uh, 2019 and this year, uh, the rate of cancellations of flights in and uh, to and from the U.S., has gone up by 50%. That means uh, for every two cancellations there were in 2019, there are three cancellations this year. Uh, Even though there are fewer planes flying. That data comes from FlightAware, which is a service that tracks uh, airline movement across the world. The article goes on to say, quote, the delayed arrival percentage, which the DOT or Department of Transportation defines as flights that are at least 15 minutes late, sat at 20% for 2022 compared to 16% in 2019. Now, that means, again, that the number of flights or the percentage of flights that are being delayed is up almost 20% from 2019 before the pandemic to 2022. Now, what's driving this? Well, if you pay attention to travel, you probably know the answer. This is all being driven by staff shortages. These are staff shortages uh, among airline crew. They are staff shortages among ground workers. These are shortages uh, among security workers, TSA, uh, airport workers, anybody who is involved in getting you from one airport to another airport. Well, they're experiencing big staff shortages right now, and those shortages are making big impacts on summer travel. And uh, honestly, it looks like it's probably going to be this way throughout the summer. And uh, we actually don't know how much longer it's going to go. It could continue into the fall and winter, but certainly during the summer when uh, so many people are trying to travel it's going to be more difficult than we're used to. So what are some things that you can do to account for this to make sure it doesn't derail your trips? Well, the first thing you need to do is just plan to arrive early. Uh, if you're like me and you like to get to the airport just in the nick of time to sail through security and get to your gate, uh, I have to tell you, you probably need to give yourself more time than you're used to, especially if you are checking bags because uh, airline check-in counters are crowded, the staffs are stretched too thin, And so you may need an extra hour just to make it to your gate. The other thing you need to do is you need to allow more time for your total travel. Uh, That means when you're booking flights, if you are booking flights with connections, you need to give yourself more time in that connecting airport, 
especially if you are clearing security uh, or rather if you are clearing customs and immigration coming back into the U.S. Because I've been hearing reports that uh, those uh, lines are two and three hours long right now in some airports. And if you only have uh, a two or three hour connection, then you know that is a bad deal. So you need to give yourself more time for connections. What that does is allows you some flexibility if the airline you're flying has to delay or cancel one of your flights. Uh, having more time in your connecting airport gives you a better chance of getting on a new flight or uh, getting on a scheduled flight that is um, you know, not going to be disrupted if your incoming flight was delayed. So you need to allow more time. And finally, you need to pack your patience because Everybody is doing the best they can. The airline crews, uh, the cabin crews, uh, the flight attendants, the check-in counter people, the gate agents, they're all doing the best they can. They are all burnt out. They are all stressed. They don't like canceled or delayed flights any more than you do. And when your travel is, is disrupted, well, it's not their fault. So pack your patience, uh, bring your best self to the airport, and we're all going to get through this together. So that brings us to today's road tip. Now, sometimes our road tips don't really have anything to do with the news we're talking about. Today, I want to give you a road tip that directly relates to the problems we are having in travel today. Now, if you've been in travel for any length of time, you have probably heard of travel insurance. Uh, depending on how you feel about it, you may buy travel insurance a lot. You may think, you know what? I don't need to spend the extra money. My tip for you today is that it's time to give travel insurance a second look, especially when you are planning important trips. You know, uh, flights are getting canceled, flights are being delayed, and if you are planning on going on a trip that is important to you and you're planning on using an airline to get there, you just can't take it for granted that the airline's gonna get you there on time, that your bag is gonna get there when you do, all of the things that you hope will go right when you travel, more and more often they're going wrong. And you need travel insurance to cover you in case an airline snafu disrupts your vacation. Now, there are all sorts of insurance plans out there. I'm not going to sit here and tell you one is better than the other, but you need to look for travel insurance that has trip delay and trip cancellation terms in it. You also need to look for something that is going to cover you specifically in case of a pandemic related delays. If you have to miss a flight or an entire trip because of sickness or someone else in your party does, you want to have that coverage so that you are not dropping thousands of dollars on trips that you have looked forward to for a long time, only to find the trip is disrupted or canceled because of something outside of your control and you are left without a trip and without your money. So today's road trip, buy that travel insurance, especially if the trip is important to you. The more meaningful and the more sentimental this trip is, the more important it is to buy the travel insurance. I just booked a trip for my family to Mexico for spring break next spring, and I am buying travel insurance for it. Even though it's going to cost a few hundred dollars, it is money well spent. That's your road tip of the day. Now, before we move on, I want to share a little bit of news from our organization, the Group Travel Leader. In the September issue of our magazine, we are going to have our annual buyer's guide for the group travel industry. If you have been a reader before you have seen uh, this buyer's guide, you have probably kept it on your desk all year because we pack that issue full of really good, really helpful information, practical information for people who are planning tours. I want to give you a little bit of a preview of what 
you're going to see coming up in our September issue. We're going to have an article about creative problem solving that's going to give you some ideas about how you can overcome problems such as my people aren't ready to travel or I can't find baggage handling in hotels or prices are getting too high. Uh, we're going to introduce you to some new faces in tourism, people you haven't met before but ought to meet. We're going to tell you how to find affordable destinations even when inflation is getting crazy. And we're going to give you tips on finding new travelers for your travel program. So keep an eye out for that issue in September. You won't want to miss it. Uh, if you're interested in advertising that issue, our sales staff here would be happy to help you with that. You can reach them by calling 888-253-0455 and they will get you hooked up. All right, now it's just about time for us to move into our featured conversation with Scott Brodsky. Uh, make sure you stay tuned to After the Conversation though, because after the conversation, I am going to share a hot minute with you about how I think we need to be dealing with the staffing shortages in the travel industry. So hang around, see whether you like what I have to say, or maybe you don't. Either way, uh, you won't want to miss it. We'll be right back with Scott Brodsky. All right. So if you're looking for even more reasons to make plans to visit Savannah, look no further. From the moment you arrive, you'll be greeted with moss-draped live oak trees, fresh coastal breezes, and enchanting history around every cobblestone street. Savannah strikes a delicate balance between hip and historic. Casual, but cool. Elegant, yet approachable. Spend the day exploring the city's illustrious culture, roaming through the green city squares while sipping on your go-to cocktail before hopping a trolley to your next adventure. The best experiences happen when you let Savannah take you along for the ride. You never know what characters you'll meet or what's in store for your next tour. And that's just the way they like it. See why groups of all sizes fall in love with Savannah at visitsavannah.com. All right, everybody. My guest today is the president of Country Heritage Tours, which is a tour company focused on a very specific niche that has been in business for 37 years. Can't wait for you to hear all about this fascinating company and the fascinating people that run it. So without further ado, here is Scott Brodsky. Scott, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I am so happy to have you. Um, now, here's a question for you. When you are at a cocktail party or a social event or something like that uh, in your hometown and everybody starts asking the obligatory questions, you know, what do you do for a living? What kind of responses do you get from people when you tell them that you run a quilting focused tour company? So usually the first response that people uh, have is a what? Uh, they're unfamiliar that uh, niche tours do exist. Um, so usually I kind of I backtrack a little bit and uh, tell them about what the industry is uh, and then kind of focus in on exactly what we do. And that's when people's interest really peaks. So do you ever get people who say, wait a minute, you do not look like a quilter? <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, all the time. I do have a prepared response for that. So I usually tell people uh, I'm an intellectual quilter. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So you guys actually have a, a pretty cool story. So take us back 37 years ago and um, tell us about how your tour company got its start. 
So the story is um, is really cute. It's uh, we are a family owned business uh, started by my mother 37 years ago uh, when her family, my father, relocated to New Hampshire. Uh, my mother uh, got a call one day. She's always been a crafter all of her life. Uh, got a call one day for a craft tour through New England that had lost their tour guide. Uh, mm. And could she fill in? My mother, having no experience uh, ever, said, of course I could. Uh, so she took out a craft tour of New England, came back from it and said, you know, I can do this as a hobby. Uh, took out a small business loan for $2,000, went and bought stationery uh, and a broken typewriter and set up shop uh, in the basement of my childhood home. Uh and it's interesting because that typewriter, the cue did not work. Um, <laughs> so she would type in O and then put a squiggle in it with a pen, which is a lot of work for a quilt torque company. For sure. But it started started in the basement, child of home. Uh, one tour was a hobby. Uh, then one tour became two. Uh, you know, two became three. My father said, hey, there's some cash, you know, opportunities here. Uh, he moonlighted in the business doing graphic design uh, and uh, and computer design since computers had really just kind of uh, hit everyone's home. Uh, and then the business grew. It eventually grew to the point where my father left his breadwinning career uh, to work full time in the business. Uh, and that's when it really took off. Um, when, you know, four tours became eight, you know, and so on and so on. Then international product got introduced. Uh, and it became uh, their career, you know, unexpectedly. Yeah. So I want to talk about uh, that international product and, and kind of the wide variety of uh, tour experiences you offer in a minute. But I'm curious, uh, how old are you when your mom jumps into this new venture? Oh, I was nine years old, uh, you know, just moved, just moved to New Hampshire. Uh, and it's what was very interesting about the whole venture is my parents were very, um, consistent about keeping their kids out of the business. They never really? wanted, uh, us to, yeah, it's, uh, they never wanted us to feel that, you know, when we get older, that this was, um, this was our lot in life. So we were excluded from it, um, in many, many, many ways, but growing up with it, you always knew the ins and outs, you know, the phone was ringing in the basement that my parents were answering. There were brochures hanging around. My mother was sitting on the couch, watching TV, stuffing envelopes and licking stamps. Wow. Uh, so, so it was always, always around. Yeah. So as a child, you are sort of intentionally not brought into the fold. Uh, but here we are now in 2022 and you're the president of the company. So fill in the blanks for us. How did that happen? Interesting how it happens. The business grew uh, large enough that it had multiple employees in it uh, at its at its peak when my parents had it. Uh, and then, of course, as they were aging, you know, they started to decrease the size of the business. Um, you know, the more tours you do, the more work there is. Uh, and at one point, I was living in New York, in Manhattan, uh, working a career uh, on Broadway and for Lincoln Center. Uh, and I knew I wanted a change. And I joked with my father about coming up and working uh, with him. Uh, and he didn't think it was funny. He thought he thought it was a great idea. So, I thought about it. I talked about it and uh, I kind of took the leap, not knowing what I was getting into, not having really any experience in the travel industry except for touring with Broadway productions, uh, packed up my apartment in New York, moved to New Hampshire uh, and, you know, 
got a desk in the basement of my parents, of my childhood home. Uh, and that's mm. where I started. It was a different pace of career, uh, working side by side with my parents. Uh, they found their rhythm of how to work together by not working in the same room together. Um, one would be on <laughs> the top floor. Yeah. It's, uh, it, how it succeeded. But it was interesting because I already, as I sat down at the desk and I started looking at everything, I already knew a lot of it. I'd grown mm. up with it. I've just never really put the the knowledge to use. So uh, in 2011, you know, uh, is when I left New York, moved to New Hampshire uh, and sat side by side with my parents and, uh, and started to learn the industry. As a matter of fact, I still have the book uh, that my mother gave me on the day that I started um, that explains the terminology of the travel and tourism industry. Wow. That's incredible. 2011. So you came in somewhat cold, although you had a lot of uh, just knowledge from being in the environment for a long time. But how long did it take before you felt like, okay, I've I've really got a handle on this business and the industry that it's a part of? Uh, there's, there's two moments that stand out. Um, one was when uh, I went on, I went out with product. Uh, I stepped foot on a motor coach in front of guests uh, to really, you know, to really get a better look at what the day to day operations were of a uh, over the road land tour. Uh, so that was one piece that uh, got me energized and excited, you know, to see what we actually do, what we're producing. Uh, and then also was uh, my parents were very big. Uh, NTA members, National Tour mm -hmm. Association. So, mm -hmm. you know, and of course they pressed on me to go to a convention the first year I was uh, with the company and I attended NTA and that's really where it clicked that um, uh, this isn't just a, a business run out of the basement of the home. It's, um, it's something much bigger. It's part of an industry uh, and the industry is endless uh, and it's and it's fun. And the people that are there energize you. They have ideas. They have their thinking caps on uh, and really kind of, you know, the sky's the limit uh, is what I saw with being able to put put tours together and, you know, and create. Yeah. So you mentioned it being a fun industry, and that's something that I have seen for years and heard for years, heard people talk about. Uh, you, but you have a background in Broadway, which I also perceive as fun. So can you sort of give us a, you know, a, a little bit of context, like compared to what seems like a high profile, you know, in the spotlight sort of career uh, performing or around performers and then coming into tourism, which is different, but fun, fun, certainly in its own way. How how did that transition feel for you? And uh, do you have any regrets? It's a, it's a really good question, Brian. Um, so it took me uh, a, a small amount of time or, you know, to understand how to use uh, my education and my career knowledge uh, and apply it towards uh, into the travel industry. Now, the travel industry obviously is fun for being able to go places and, and do things. Uh, but in terms of following passion, uh, it, you know, I had to I had to find how to use the rules and tools that I had in my toolbox. Um, so my career on Broadway was as a designer uh, for mm -hmm. uh, for Broadway productions, Off-Broadway, uh, and then for uh, the Metropolitan Opera and New York City Opera at Lincoln Center. Um, so really tapping into the creative side uh, of things. Uh, where I found my place in the tourism industry is 
putting a tour together is no different than a, than putting a production on Broadway together. You have mm-hmm. a research phase of compiling all the components, uh, auditioning, you know, the attractions that you want to include, you don't want to include, putting all of this on paper uh, and having it run a nice choreographed presentation um, that takes finesse. Uh, so that's where I learned how to really apply my passion to it is it's all artistic components, especially with our niche, which is quilting, um, which I wasn't a quilter coming into the business either. So, you know, there's two learning curves that I, that I was grabbing. So finding where, you know, where I sat with all of it uh, and sat comfortably um, mm-hmm. took a little bit of time, but once it, once it clicked, it's, uh, you know, I may not be a quilter, but I certainly uh, can appreciate craftsmanship, design qualities, art, uh, what it takes to put uh, a quilt together. And not only a quilt, but, you know, uh, any piece of art. Yeah. So, you know, it seems to me that your specific story and even your your whole company story is really just proof of how. Uh, foolish sort of the expertise fallacy is in society, or at least in our minds, this idea that you can't do something unless you are an expert already, right? I mean, your mom was not a tourism expert. Uh, she liked quilting and she figured it out. And then you come in and you're not even a quilter. You, you don't have, you know, a cultural touch point with these people who you are selling to, but you come in and you figure it out. So how, how does someone who has some savvy and some passion overcome the lack of expertise and find success, even if it's unlikely success? It's, uh, you know, so I've always believed, um, that there's an endless pool of knowledge out there. Um, Mm. I've, all kinds of interests that uh, from gardening to architecture to uh, theater arts, uh, you know, and now and now fiber arts. Uh, pursuing your passion is is something that should be in front of everyone all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was up for the challenge. You know, once I uh, took a st- step back and realized that there was a major industry here um, and a lot of players involved. Um, it became a, a challenge uh, that I, I wanted. So when I work with DMOs uh, to put tours together, I, you know, I ask them to put their thinking cap on because I, you know, I don't necessarily for the business want the standard attraction uh, that everyone can go and see. Part of our business model is we're offering more behind the ropes experiences, stuff that brings mm-hmm. you beyond the guidebook. And, yeah. uh, and I don't, you know, uh, uh, I don't necessarily, it's not a right, a good fit to put people into the regular attraction that everyone goes to. I want to know what's off the beaten path. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, I find that DMOs have a really good time because they actually have to, you know, do a little bit more digging uh, to find stuff that is, you know, even more interesting uh, than their initial, uh, you know, ideas were. So it's, you know, to circle back to your question, it's, you got to find passion in it. It's, uh, it's there. You have to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, it's not the right thing. Uh, and Mm. it's connections and people uh, and smiling faces. And at the end of the day, uh, providing people's vacations is a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's easy. I think sometimes for those of us who have been in tourism a long time to, uh, get a little bit jaded or, you know, so used to being on the road, seeing cool stuff, staying in hotels that it, it just becomes part of a day's work. I know I've been in that situation myself, but when you stop and step back and realize like, 
what I'm working on and the experiences I'm providing are creating a community among people who may not be connected to each other and are, are making new friendships, or we're creating memories uh, that are going to last in generations of families. We're, we're um, setting the table for uh, conversations and meals and experiences that families are going to carry with them for the rest of their lives. Like that is huge and that's powerful. And I just feel like we need to remember that sometimes, you know? It's always very important. It's, um, you know, I think I learned at NTA one year that uh, nostalgia plays a very important part in um, in uh, in product development. Um, and so I always keep that in front of me. Uh, and then also, too, in terms of uh, of trying to keep myself, you know, interested and active in the business is there's a very direct line of sight from uh, what I do to uh, to what gets you know produced uh tour wise and then how our clients react. Uh, and I'm a person that I like to try things. There's a, a ton of different media out there right now between social media, uh, you know, internet advertising, print advertising, uh, podcasts, uh, you know, dipping you know, your toes in the water of everything gives you that opportunity to try things. So let's talk about quilting tours in specific because uh, I know of some quilt museums or some quilt festivals or things like that. But if you ask me right now today to put together uh, an entire tour that would appeal to people who are into quilts, I, well, the, I would have to call you because I wouldn't have an idea where to start. So what do you do on a quilting tour? It's a, it's a good question. I would be a good person to call for it. So our over the road tours, which are seven to 10 to 14 days um, are going to, you know, visit all the local cultural and historical attractions of any destination that you would want to see while visiting. You know, mm -hmm. when you're in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, you want to, you know, you want to go to the market, you want to take a carriage ride. So we include all of those. And then uh, where I ask the DMOs to put on their thinking cap is where can I find the quilting component? Uh, well, you know, just speaking of Charleston itself, right downtown is the Charleston Museum, which is dedicated mm -hmm. to Charleston, South Carolina's history. But Charleston's the Charleston Museum also has one of the largest quilt collections uh, in the South of Southern plantation quilts than anywhere else uh, in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, most people don't know it. So all of a sudden now I have uh, a destination, you know, in a destination uh, to partake in. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, we... We always focus, you know, we try to focus, excuse me, around a major quilting event. Those are the easy tours to put together. Mm. You know, yeah. you have quilt shows in Paducah uh, and in Houston, Texas and Sisters, Oregon. Uh, those are certainly the easy ones to build out. Uh, but our other tours, you know, uh, that don't have quilt shows, we incorporate in Amish country, uh, we visit uh, an Amish farm where they have a quilting bee going on. So mm. it does take some digging uh, on our end and research uh, continuing, continuing, you know, to to build out a tour. But so the overall makeup of a tour is going to be the attractions of the area that you want to see. Quilt shops will be in there. Uh, we're pretty picky about uh, which ones we include uh, and then some type of quilt focused opportunity. Yeah, that's cool. And it, what I love looking at your website is just how many places around the country and even around the world that you have 
found those connections to quilting. So just browsing through what you guys are, are offering this year, I see Paris and Switzerland. I see Italy. I see New England. I see the South. I see Texas. So give us some examples of uh, how you, uh, no pun intended, but how you weave quilting uh, into some of these places that people of all stripes love to visit. So, you know, it's um, there's stories behind the stitches is what we like to say. When Looking at opportunities, some you know, for uh, tour operators out there, uh, you know, marketing is one of is one of the most important parts of the business. Um, so we always look for a destination first, a destination that people want to visit. Mm. So uh, there may be a fantastic quilt show in Boise, uh, Boise, uh, Idaho, but not many people ever say that that's where they want to go on vacation. So that becomes mm. a hard sell. So uh, we always look for destinations first that are uh, well-traveled, uh, well, uh, well thought out and offer plenty to do f- uh, for our guests uh, in terms of hotel amenities and, and, uh, and walkouts from city center properties. So once we find a destination that we know resonates really well, uh, that's our point of departure. Then we go out from there. Um, We've been, I've been incredibly surprised that once you start to dig in, uh, there are quilts everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in obviously in Pennsylvania, Amish country, there's plenty. Uh, Hamilton, Missouri, you know, uh, believe it or not, Hamilton, Missouri, home of Missouri Star Quilt Company, relatively mm-hmm. new on the scene in the last 10 years, uh, is now affectionately known as the Disneyland of quilting. Uh, what's in Hamilton, Missouri? Nothing. Um, but <laughs> it, uh, but that quilt company is, and it's a household name. Uh, so knowing that we build out a tour from there. So what's mm-hmm. close to Hamilton, Kansas city is once you start looking at Kansas city, well, Kansas city has a regional quilt show every other year. So that's, uh, you know, that's where the digging and unearthing comes in. And then just outside of Hamilton uh, in Des Moines, Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa is just spitting distance from Winterset, Iowa. Winterset, Iowa is home of Iowa Quilt Museum. uh, Mm. And also there's a a cute little quilt shop there called PeaceWorks Quilt Shop. So all that works really well for a tour, you know, doing more digging. PeaceWorks Quilt Shop was the original shop of uh, a famous household quilter's name, uh, Marianne Fonz. Now, all of a sudden, it's uh, it's has a double impact on my guests because there's a a recognizable name. you know, in addition to a quilt museum, in addition to a quilt, uh, a quilt store. So it just, you know, like I said, when I work with DMOs, uh, they put their thinking cap on and all of a sudden, you know, they all start talking and I get emails, phone calls, you know, we found this, we have a quilt exhibition here. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how quickly you can find uh, the opportunities. Now, you mentioned how important marketing is, and and that's certainly true in any business. But I have to imagine that uh, when you stepped in and joined your parents in the company and eventually took it over, that probably changed some things about how you do marketing. So tell us uh, what that process has been like of kind of making the operations your own and maybe some things you've done to, to modernize it or to bring in some new technology into it. So when I came into the business, uh, this was a a basement run business uh, by my parents. Uh, There were two computers um, and a four line phone. 
uh, mm. and worked very well for my for my parents. But there was no central uh, no central server. So my father had documents stored on his machine that were different than the ones that my mother had stored on her machine, and oh, wow. you know, different different logos on this and this. So one of the yeah. first things I did is I I put in a PBX phone system, a VoIP phone system, mm-hmm. so that uh, we could get rid of my mother calling on her cell phone, you know, saying that I have a call <laughs> on line two. Uh, and then we put in a, uh, a server so yeah. that now, you know, documents were central, centrally located uh, in from, you know, from that point, you know, everything became unified. Uh, one of the other first projects that I did that was the initial start of me making the business my own is we did a massive uh, overhaul and update of the website. Um, mm. So we took the website, uh, which regenerated an audience for my parents, um, you know, in the 90s. Uh, and we t- we took it and completely rebuilt it. Uh, and that started the process of me understanding the depths of uh, what goes on in the business. Then all of a sudden comes uh, email blast. My father used to use uh, a mail merge you know, with his computer it would take overnight to send an email blast. <laughs> um, and we put in a, uh, a email blast program, uh, in addition to a Facebook page and all of a sudden, you know, marketing is now modernized. Um, so those were big, important things to me. Uh, and then also, you know, through the years, I then updated, um, the look and feel of the business to make it my own from uh, a mauve color, colored stationery to a white stationery. We colorized the logo. We, uh, we colorized the catalog completely. Um, we moved from a copy-based catalog to a picture-based catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, all of those steps, you know, uh, slowly making it uh, leave, you know, uh, my legacy, you know, my imprint yeah. uh, on the yeah. business. So I'm looking at your website now. It's a fantastic looking website. The imagery is great. Even the the fonts are great. It's clean. It's easy to look at. Uh, and uh, tour operator websites uh, between you and me and I guess everyone listening, tour operator websites have been a pet peeve of mine for a long time because so many of them are frankly just so bad. So cheap. I, yeah. Yeah. They're cheap. And you know, somebody built it 10 years ago and has never looked at it again or they've never updated it. So can you kind of Give our listeners uh, your take on the importance of having an up-to-date and functional and good-looking website and and what kind of difference you feel like it's made in your business. Uh, you know, the importance of having a, um, a, a modern website is I couldn't stress it enough. It's um, you, you have such a small window of opportunity once people land on your page uh, mm. to be able to capture them. Uh, the abandonment rate for websites is massive and it's fast. If, uh, if something mm. doesn't work or it's hard to find, they just move on to the next. Uh, and for me, you know, working in a niche business, uh, I need to establish not only that we're a tour company, but that, you know, we also, um, you know, are a quilt tour company. But having a website that is functional, easy to navigate, clear and concise, um, continuity, meaning all the information matches, you know, across cancellation policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what I do notice about um, other tour operators is uh, almost no one takes payments online. Yes. Uh, so we used to be a check company. You would fill out the registration form in the back of the catalog. You'd mail it in uh, mm-hmm. with a check, which is fine. We still get checks. Um, but 95% come in online. So they book online with a deposit and then they wow. pay their balance online. Um, wow. 
It's service for the for the customer. If they have to take an extra step to now call and with a credit card, again, the abandonment rate jumps uh, pretty high. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, being client focused, I think, is a, an important point for websites. Make it easy for them. Make it convenient for them. Uh, and the expectation in today's world is that they can do it online uh, at you know without talking to someone. Uh, and then also, you know, the follow up on it too. You know, just because they book online doesn't mean that that's the end. Now the communication, uh, you know, uh, chain of command starts with automation of getting paperwork and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. Ninety five percent. I wouldn't would not have even guessed that. So do you feel like uh, even your customers who are maybe in a little bit older demographic and not as tech fluent as, you know, a Gen X or a baby boomer, do you feel like even they are uh, comfortable with online payment and and prefer that to mailing checks? Absolutely. It's um something that I've been very focused on since I came into the business is uh, is keeping up with my audience without abandoning my audience, but also not letting my audience die. Um, so that means continuing to modernize, uh, but also, you know, hold on to the pieces that people are comfortable with. Um, there are some decisions that we make that, uh, you know, for the better good of us as a business and just to modernize, I take a page out of the cruise industry's book. You know, the cruise industry used to publish, you know, for every guest, a bound booklet that had your tickets in it, had your luggage tags in it, had every shore excursion in it. Mm-hmm. And the cruise industry all of a sudden one year went completely digital uh, and you had no choice but to accept it. And it worked and people are used to it. So have you automated any of that back office work, creating documents and uh, generating those, getting them out to people? Absolutely. It's um, it's a, it's a slow process and it certainly is a, t- a time consuming one. Uh, but when I came on you know, to the business, uh, we began the process of automation. So mm-hmm. if uh, if you signed up for our newsletter through our website. Uh, it would automatically, you know, send you a thank you. And two days after that, send you a, a welcome newsletter. So that was the start of automation. Uh, pandemic certainly helped us kickstart the rest of that. Yeah. So prior to pandemic, we did mail confirmation letters, uh, final balance letters, final paperwork, uh, pre-departure paperwork. And now we've moved everything digitally and it is all, uh, it's all automated. So once they get put into the system, um, you know, on key dates for depending on the tour, it automatically pushes out all the documents. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. All right. So, uh, I bet we have some people listening who say, you know what, I'm, I'm not a quilter, but there are some things I'm passionate about. And I have some friends that are into, uh, maybe, you know, railroad buffs or people who love college basketball or, or, or you name it. So for somebody like that, who's thinking, Hey, maybe I could find a way to start, uh, building some travel experiences around these shared areas of interest. How would you encourage somebody like that to get started? What's one or two steps that they can take to move in that direction? So, you know, I, I believe in, you know, what my mother put together is make it unique, um, and keep it quality, uh, have a mission statement and understand what you're going after, uh, make it something that people are interested in. Uh, it's easy to put together a tour. Anyone can stay at a highway hotel, but what will make you different? But there's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to do and you have to enjoy doing it. Uh, Mm -hmm. and you have to enjoy the people that want to 
take those tours. Um, and if you if you're passionate about it and you put it together, uh, you know, with some good marketing and getting in there, uh, they they will come. So uh, it does take a lot of elbow grease, though. Yeah, yeah. That's that's such a great perspective. I love that. So uh, I'm going to let you go because I know you've got uh, tons of good stuff to do today. Before that, uh, where can people find you online if they want to know more about uh, the company or more about you? There's all kinds of ways to find us. So at our website, countryheritagetours.com, uh, you can find a listing of all of our tours. We do publish an annual catalog full color that you can view online or request a print copy. Uh, we're on social media, Facebook, uh, you know, Instagram, uh, or you can pick up the phone uh, and call us, which is uh, the best way to get answers to your questions. And all that information can be found uh, directly on our website. Yeah, fantastic. We're going to put that link in the show notes so people can uh, click straight through and learn more about you guys. All right. I got a final set of questions that we ask every guest. These are just kind of uh, fun things. So no pressure, but I'd, I'd love to hear what you say. First question, uh, window seat or aisle seat? A window, definitely. Uh, I need a place to lay my head. So I'm right, right <laughs> against because I'm, I'm sleeping on planes. <laughs> so it's not about the view. It's about the sleep. No, it's not about the view. Plane is the only time that I can disconnect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear that. All right. Uh, next question. What is one thing in your carry on that you never travel without? Ooh, one thing in my carry on that I never travel without. Uh, it's got to be uh, an iPad. All right. Uh, if you have a free airline ticket anywhere in the world and a week off of work, uh, where would you go? That's an easy one. Portland, Oregon. Oh, yeah. What's Absol the connection for you? Uh, Portland, Oregon is, you know, in all of my travels uh, was the first place that uh, I landed and liked all the bits and pieces of it, uh, mm. from community values to the architecture, um, Oregon itself, topography wise, has beaches, has mountains, has uh, fertile farmland. Uh, the people are good. They're they're family. They're family communities, uh, and it's. Uh, I you know, I've always considered it kind of the Brooklyn of the West Coast. Last question: uh, What is something you've seen or done on the road that you wish you could experience again with somebody you love? Oh, uh, it would probably be in Vietnam, taking a, uh, a rickshaw or a tuk-tuk or a, a, a taxi with someone to really see uh, how the people live and work. Um, mm. And then also uh, taking a boat ride through some of the canals that the jungle is overgrown. Uh, when I did it last, it was it was like the jungle boat ride at Disney World, except this was the real thing. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's something I haven't done, but it is uh, way up there on the list. So I envy you. I hope you get to go back someday and do it uh, just for fun with somebody you care about. It sounds awesome. Well, Scott, thanks for being on the show. We appreciate it. And everybody go check out Country Heritage Tours. Uh, you will find a lot of inspiration, even if you're not a quilter. There's some great stuff on their website. So uh, go check it out. Be inspired. And uh, we'll see you down the road, Scott. Thanks a bunch. Brian, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Scott Brodsky as much as I did. A few things he said uh, in our talk that I want to recap because I think they're important for us to take note of. Uh, he said there is an endless pool of knowledge out there and that pursuing your passion should be in front of everyone 
all the time. You know, whether you are a travel industry veteran who's been doing this for years and years or you're brand new to tourism, uh, it's really important and encouraging to know that there is a ton of information out there. And if you follow your passions, dig into that information, bring a curious mind to the work you do. It's going to make you better at that work and you're actually going to have a lot more fun as well. Uh, He said that he asked his DMO partners to put on their thinking caps when he's planning tours with them. And and he also said that the DMOs actually enjoy digging around to come up with new ideas in their areas. Uh, This is something that is so important when you're planning tours, especially if you're planning customized tours. Don't be afraid to ask your destination partners to get creative because when you do, when you invite them to collaborate with you in that way, you are are going to be surprised and they may even be surprised by how great the stuff is that they come up with and how much fun they have while they're doing it. Uh, He said uh, regarding your website, he said you have such a small window of opportunity once people land on your page. And he said that 95% of his clients are paying online. That is fantastic. I think that's something that the rest of our industry should be aspiring to as well. And finally, he said, it's easy to put a tour together. What will make you different? If you are in the tour business, that needs to be at top of your mind at all times is what makes you different. There are hundreds of companies out there offering tours and uh, people have lots of options when they go to book their vacations. But if you can offer them an experience that is different, that is memorable, that makes them feel awesome, they're going to remember you and they're going to travel with you again. All right, everybody, it is time for the hot minute. Uh, That is the portion of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unvarnished views on issues that are impacting travel today. Now, at the top of the show, we talked about how the staff shortages in the airline and aviation industries are making travel a real headache this summer. We're actually experiencing staff shortages throughout every sector of travel, honestly, throughout every sector of the industry in general, but especially throughout travel. Well, I have some thoughts about what that means for us, what that means about how we should go forward and some ways that we can alleviate this problem. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. Here we go. So for generations in America, we have been debating about whether or not we should bring in workers from outside the U.S. to fill jobs that we need filled. Uh, For a long time, people argued that immigration took American jobs and drove down wages. But I think over the last couple of years, we have a great case study that shows that when there are not immigrants coming in, when we do not have enough people here, it creates massive staffing shortages. Now, the travel industry has a wonderful track record of bringing in people from around the world to work in hospitality jobs. And it's actually been really successful. So let me suggest this to you. If you love travel, but you hate the hassles we're going through by not having enough staff and especially not having enough service workers, maybe it's time to rethink your stance on immigration because it's not just the smart and well-qualified people we need coming into the U.S. We also need people coming in who will bust tables and do dishes and all the other hard work involved in tourism. That's the way I see it. You are welcome to disagree and we can still be friends. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this or any other topic. You can send them to me at podcast at grouptravelleader.com. And you never know, your thoughts and ideas might just be the topic of the next hot minute. 
And hey, while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a favor and go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a rating? We would love to get a five-star rating. We'd love to have a review there where you can tell us exactly what you think about the show. That would really help us to get the word out to other people and to make sure we are putting out a podcast that is as helpful to you as it can be. Uh, that would be a big favor and you have my thanks in advance for doing it. Hey, thanks also to Scott Brodsky for joining us today. Now on the next episode of Gather and Go, I'm going to bring you a featured conversation with Cheryl Hargrove of Hargrove International. She's going to talk to us about how we can explore culture through travel. She's got lots of great stories to tell. You are not going to want to miss that interview. Until then though, remember this. At the end of the day, we are all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Donya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kelly Tyner and Kyle Anderson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kelly or Kyle at 888-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of the Group Travel Leader. For more information about our magazines, podcasts, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com.